thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Uh, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Right? Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Doug. <laughs> well, as you guys know, we are going through this series on our mission, which is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, last week, we were able to, uh, to look at, at a vibrant prayer. Um, and so this week, we're actually going to be uh, just kind of engaging and looking through Christ-centered families. Um, as you guys know, I, we love kids, my wife and I, so we have four of them. And... Um, <laughs> I think we, we added the multiply to the Christ-centered family part, too. So we're trying, okay? You know, you're going to have to ask the Lord that because um, uh, it hasn't come yet. So anyway, and so just so grateful and thankful for uh, just the opportunity to be able to, uh, to share it in this. And, and obviously, this is something that um, is pretty real in our lives right now, but something that I have not figured out at all. So um, this is a broken and... Um, Hopefully, a humble person trying to just share a little bit about what we do as a family and hopefully how we can direct ourselves as families to Christ. And so, what I want to make clear too, though, is that this isn't in, in the same way that family uh, game night on Friday wasn't just for kids, it's also for all of us as families. Uh, for, for us who are, are husbands and wives, who have kids, grandkids, whatever it may be, um, we are a family unit, even us as believers in Jesus together and the bride of Christ, uh, which uh, and so uh, that we might all be Christ-centered uh, in our family. And so before we begin, let's start by seeking the Father to reveal his heart for us and families. Uh, Father, we come before you grateful that we get to be a part of your family, uh, that, that you have chosen to, to, to be in relationship with us, that you've chosen to, to share in the goodness of your, of your, of your presence, Lord, that we get to share in the and the joys of being um, co-heirs with Christ, that we are uh, just a part of your family, God. And so we are thankful for that. Lord, that uh, we pray that you might help us to understand your heart for your kingdom, your heart for families, and that we might see the goodness of what it means to have you at the center of our lives. We pray. Amen. So, the question that I, that I have that I want to start with is, has anyone ever felt woefully unprepared for something in their life? Yeah. Yep. Um, so the reality is we could probably spend the entire rest of today talking about my woefully unpreparedness in life. And uh, you could probably ask Jennifer and we could go on for weeks. Anyway, so, um, but I just want to share one occurrence this past week. I wouldn't say it's woefully unprepared, but I, I, I figured out pretty quickly that I was a little unprepared. And so I took Allison to uh, soccer practice on Thursday and went ahead and uh, took all the kids with me so that Jennifer could kind of start dinner and all those types of things. And so uh, wrangling all four kids at a time can be a little difficult. I'm getting a little ring here. Um, and so uh, we parked the car and we, we have to walk probably a few hundred feet to the, to the soccer field. And so I get all four kids to the soccer field. So this is success already. All right. As a dad, amen, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Anywho, so her soccer practice begins, and the three other kids are starting to play, and there's this massive hill, and uh, Jane and Henry start rolling down the hill. 
Jane comes over, and apparently they had just cut this like foot-long grass, and so Jane comes to me, and she has one of those jackets that collects everything, and she is covered in grass. It's in her hair. It's everywhere. And I was like, well, you're already there, so just keep going, girl. Like, have some fun. And so it wasn't long after, though, that, that Henry comes over to me crying, and he's holding his face, and he's got blood running down on him. Uh, he had busted his nose somehow. I, within 30 seconds, Jane comes running over, and she's got blood on her arm. And not within two minutes of that, I hear the infamous line, Daddy, I need a poop. <laughs> and I, I have to share with you, the only thing I brought was a water bottle. <laughs> and so, in that moment, I knew I had messed up. Because... Everything that I had to help them was a few hundred feet away while they were in the middle of this. And so, um, uh, anywho, I, I realized I had messed up a little bit. But, because uh, what's crazy is there's these things that are called bags, and they're magical. They get filled up by someone, I don't know who. But they have wipes and pull-ups and snacks and drinks and stuff in them. They're really amazing if you bring them with you. Um, but anyway... Uh, what was really cool is that uh, there's this magical person called a mom there who had wipes and lollipops for crying kids. And there was even a porta potty within 10 feet of the field. And so we actually made it. Um, so it was quite a magical moment there. And so It was all good from there, except for the fact that one of the kids was hanging like eight feet off the ground from this rail, and um, somehow they found these like two foot deep holes that they were like stepping into. Uh, but other than that, we made it home, we were fine. Uh, but, but that was kind of my moment of, of unpreparedness as a, as a father. And that happens on occasion, not all the time. And that may have been a little dramatized. But anyway, you guys get the point. Sometimes you're just woefully unprepared in life. And so, um, just... Really, truly amazing um, that, that they make it home every day. Okay. Um, and I'm also thankful Genesis, Genesis 2 tells us that um, Adam needed a companion, and I desperately needed a companion for my life. Uh, I, I miss a lot of details, but my wife is there for me and to direct me and help me in all other ways. But in all seriousness, there's, there's kind of a point that I want to make with this, and I realize that there are a lot of other points you don't need to tell me later, um, but... The point that I kind of want to make with this is that, you know, being a dad has not been exactly what I thought it was going to be. Um, and I wish I could say that like in a good way, <laughs> but in the same way that I honestly was just, with that situation, we we're kind of rushing and just kind of missed the bag, whatever the case is. But, but being a dad, there was a lot of things that I was just unprepared for, um, you know, I, I knew going into to the relationship that with my wife and having kids. Like, I, I, I knew Psalm 127, that my kids were to be a heritage and that, that I should uh, fill my quiver. And most would agree that we took that and Genesis 1 literally when God said to be fruitful and multiply. Like, I knew those things. And so I envisioned myself being this incredibly caring, patient person who would figure out what to say or what to do in all situations. Like, you kind of have that majestic feeling of like, I'm going to be a great dad super dad. And what I found uh, was that that wasn't necessarily the case. You know, sometimes I get it right, but there's a lot of times I get it wrong too. 
And um, you know, I just wanted to be someone who had things together a little bit. And so, and, and what's interesting, uh, Scott and I were, were talking about this the other day. It's, it's, I tend to be a better parent when other people are around. <laughs> and I think that's true of all of us. When people are around, we tend to be better people. Um, we tend to have things a little more buttoned up. We tend to be a little bit more focused, whatever the case may be. And so, um, I even knew Paul's warning in 1 Corinthians 7 concerning the challenges of having family and doing ministry. And ultimately, I thought I was just more prepared than that. Um, what I found instead is that there are parts of me that still needed to be not only transformed, but sanctified, changed. And let's be honest, I could say that about a, my, my marriage as well. And I won't say that being a dad or a husband, I didn't, I didn't necessarily think that being a dad or a husband was going to be just this easy thing, okay? Like, I don't want you guys to think that about it. But I didn't understand or comprehend the challenges that would come in it. People tell you, but as you guys, as we know, knowledge normally comes through people teaching or telling us or through learning, and we love the second one better than the first. We love knowledge. Well, I wouldn't say we love it, but that's just how we learn. We learn more often through experience than we do from someone telling us what to do and what not to do and what to watch out for. And so, honestly, I thought I was more prepared. Now, the thing that I want to say is that being a dad and a husband has been extraordinarily rewarding, right? But it's, an, it's been extraordinarily challenging as well. And look, I, I know my wife and my kids aren't perfect, but there is one thing that I realized in the equation, and that was me, that I was a big part of the problem. And so, but what, what I think that, that God has really taught me through a lot of these different things is that he uses my marriage and my kids not simply for my pleasure, or enjoyment, or companionship, or whatever you want to call it. But he uses it for my holiness. And not just for mine, but theirs as well. And I think that's something that we often tend to forget about when we think about families. When we think about our kids, when we think about our spouses, is that in the, in the, in the moment, we often tend to, to relegate ourselves back to what we know, or what we think, or how we feel. And what that often tends to do is it looks a lot like selfish gain. But what God has really shown me through my life is that he uses my wife and my kids not just for the simple joys of knowing them and being with them, but to really uh, reveal that I need to be transformed and made new again and again and again, that I need to be sanctified day by day. But he uses them for my holiness and not just mine, but theirs. And the thing that I think most of us struggle with is that we often try to place the deepest longings of our hearts and our souls on and in the relationships we have with our spouses and our children. Whether we're trying to live our lives through our kids or are hoping that they would have great careers and, and good jobs and that they would be comfortable and everything would be well and that maybe would perceive people would perceive that our marriages are exciting and adventurous and great and whatever the case may be. Or maybe that our lives are filled with success and you have everything buttoned up and together. Who knows, right? We could fill the gap for the rest of the today. Whatever it is that you're trying to transpose onto that relationship. When I really sit and examine my life, I often do that with my kids and I often do that with, with my spouse. And it's something that, that being Christ-centered in, in my walk with, with them allows for me to see that and to be changed and transformed. And if none of that is working out, 
And this is often where I can be as well, is that I'm tired and overwhelmed. Simply trying to survive another day. And if we're really honest with ourselves, there are times in which we say, if I can just get to Friday, if I can just get to the next vacation. And I think if we, if we look to God and his word and we look to the principles of life, man, there is so much more to be had in Christ than that. There's so much more for my life than simply being tired and looking for the time that I have for myself or even the time that I have with my wife. Life can both draw you into its pleasures and beat you down with its pains. And we all know that. The same serpent who whispered into the ear of Eve whispers into the ear of us all, into our wives, into our, your husbands, into our kids, into ourselves. And we all have those things that we listen to. Now, the reality is, is that I don't want to get to a point where we have just another to-do list. As families, it can be overwhelming, can it not? And so God doesn't want your best efforts and your accomplishments. But what he does want is he wants your love. He wants your attention. He wants your burdens. And he wants your life to be yielded to him. From that, there can be the outpouring of obedience and discipline and sanctification. He doesn't want to raise, for you to raise moral children. He wants their hearts to be radically in love with his. Your spouse doesn't need for you to satisfy their every longing or desire. They need to be satisfied and pointed to Christ. For our families to be Christ-centered requires for us to not be in the way <laughs> of his rightful place, whether as a spouse or as a parent or even as a child. You know, my goal here, and I think the biblical goal and principle here is to not disregard your family relationships, but to see them rightfully in their correct place. And if I'm honest with you guys, that's extraordinarily difficult. Because when I look to Scripture, I see the absolute surrender that, that Christ compels us to. And we'll talk about that a little bit. At the same time, I see the absolute call to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And that, when you really begin to think about it, is pretty crazy because I don't necessarily know what that looks like in my own life. And so we can kind of be stuck in this place of understanding how we are called to love Christ and have him at the very center of our lives and at the same time love our families really well, take care of them, work a job so that we have all the things that they need, allow for them to enjoy the, the, some of the simple pleasures of this life. There's a, there's a really hard and difficult understanding of how that looks. And for every single one of us, that's going to look a little bit different. We all have different personalities, we all have different likes and all those different things and there's, a, there's just a really hard friction that exists or what that really looks like. The problem is that I don't necessarily have the answer for you in that. But the only thing that we do have is trying to understand in our family unit, whether that's you and your, your husband or you and your kids, whatever that might be, is how we as a family can point ourselves towards Christ that he might take supremacy in our lives 
over everything else. What I often find when I read Jesus' words is that I'm met with this immediate gut check. Like, Jesus, did you really mean to say what you just said? That doesn't sound like the Jesus that I've made you out to be or what culture tells me about what a family should look like. It definitely doesn't fit into the culture all around me that I see, but I, I can see it the more and more that I, that I begin to read God in his word, the more that the spirit allows for me to understand a bigger picture of the kingdom that's supposed to, to work in and through this life. One theologian says it this way, the radical sayings of Christ expose our self-protective reflex. The kingdom challenges our way of thought. It, it has to. Because there's so much brokenness around us. The kingdom has to change our way of thought. It challenges the current wave of, of, of the thought and the cultural flow of society. It flips the script of you and me and exposes us. It exposes who we worship and what we worship and what we're surrendered to. And so there's going to be a couple of passages that I want to read directly from Jesus and his words to us that are a little difficult, but I think that are important for us to understand in the context of his kingdom and that reveal the heart of his kingdom. In Matthew 10, 37, Jesus says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I, I don't know about you guys, but that's hard. Because um, I, I don't love anyone else more than I love my wife and my kids. In the context of people that I see. The joy that I get when I walk home and my kid runs and hugs me and says, Daddy, I missed you. Like, there's greater joy in that physical, personal touch relationship than, than probably just about anything else. Like, I, I like all of you guys and I love you, but you guys just don't compare to that. And that's okay. Hope you feel the same way about your families. And so, that's hard it's a hard word for us to, to look at and examine and to understand. What gets even harder is if you look a couple verses back. It says, do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Ugh. But the thing that we're going to see over and over again is that in following Jesus, he's not asking for our leftovers. He's not asking for our second. He's asking for all of us. Now, there's some, some really cool things that come out of that that I'm just going to say in a, in a couple minutes, but that's the hard reality of the gospel and the kingdom is that he's calling us to make him central in our lives. And I wish I could say that easier, but that's the truth. You see, Jesus offers himself as peace 
But when supreme love for him is not shared in a family, he becomes a divider. Jesus offers himself as peace, but when supreme love for him is not shared in a family, he becomes a divider. Because he calls for all of us, not some of us. The prioritization of love ties in with the greatest commandment, right? Which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the seconds like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Exactly what our kids are learning today. The commandments, the greatest commandment. You see, if we aren't careful, we can fall into this temptation of changing the order of love. God asks for our first and our best, and we can fall into the temptation and and, 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 and switch that out of order. He requires our first output to be the intimacy towards him. And the thing that I want to remind us is that how tightly that second command is tied to the first. Right? It's to love him, but then also to love people, to love our neighbors. We are called to love God in order that we can love everyone else better. And that's kind of the paradox that exists in our mind because when we first hear Jesus' words, it hits us hard and we're like, whoa, what are you saying, Jesus? But it's in realizing and understanding that he has loved us in such a way that we're called to love him back. And from that outflow and pouring, we're actually able to love people better. If, if I can understand the love of of, of the Father towards me, and I can reciprocate that and, and begin in that relationship with Him, then I can actually love my wife like Christ loves His bride, the church. And so that's that difficult thing that exists in our mind because when we first hear Jesus' words, it hits us like this ton of gravel pouring over top of us. Like, what are you saying? But in reality, when we begin to to pray and seek through the Spirit that we might understand His Word, we begin to see that His words bring life in that. That I I can actually love my wife well, not from a selfish perspective or through vain conceit or anything, but I can love her in such a way that it looks like Jesus' love, not my own. God did not intend for people to fill our hearts with love. We aren't equipped to do that job. God never wants another to take his place in that. When we love God with all we have first, our love expands, multiplies even, and we have more love to give to others. And that love is actually healthy because our heart's needs are met with him first. I can tell you guys, there's been several times in my life where I've become emptied, because I haven't been seeking the Lord, whatever the case is, I'm just kind of in a, in a mess spiritually, mentally, whatever the case may be. And I, and I can tell you guys, and I think you all know this, there is nothing that I have to offer in that. Even my best efforts and attempts fail to satisfy anything that my kids need or that my wife needs. When we love God with all we have first, our love multiplies. And that love is healthy. When we reverse God's order and seek the love of others before God, our love sours and its purity diminishes. Love can become self-focused and unhealthy because our own God-designed needs aren't met. When we try to love others out of our human love, we can, uh, we can run out of it. We can begin looking to others instead of overflowing onto others. 
So the question that I have in that for all of us is that we examine our order of love. We examine our order of who we uh, love first. Another passage I want to read in the context of understanding the perspective of the marriage relationship is Luke 20. The Sadducees are, are trying to trick Jesus about the resurrection, and they ask about the woman who's been married seven times uh, to the seven different brothers, and the six have been widowed before. And they ask, who is she going to be married to in the resurrection? And Jesus said to them in verse 34 and following, the sons of this age marry and are given to marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age, that being heaven, and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore, because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Obviously, Jesus talking to the Sadducees, he's really putting home that, that, that point of the resurrection of eternal life. But there's a side note that kind of exists here, and I want to be expressly clear. We are called to love and care for our spouses while we are here. But the point that I, the side point in this passage that I want to make is that we often get caught up on earth through marriage with these things of like companionship and identity, love and intimacy, our, our offspring and our kids and all these different things. Those things won't be needed in the same way in eternity. And, and, and what I don't mean is that there's no indication that we won't know our spouses in heaven. I, I don't know what that looks like, okay? And it doesn't mean that we disregard our spouses now. But there's something about this principle that exists that highlights how the kingdom ought to be shaping our relationships here. It's greater that we magnify our love of God first and then subsequently outpour that And I think that's really difficult. Once again, I, I love my wife dearly, and, and, and so much of, of what that relationship looks like is effort and time and energy and all those things. And, and, and that's why I say we, we need to be really careful that we don't disregard this relationship now. Right? If you are married, love your spouse well. And at the same time, God calls us to this different view of what that relationship looks like forever. Here and now, love well. Don't disregard them. Don't overwhelm them. Don't do all the things that, that could look like a, a hatred of the spouse. At the same time, the kingdom perspective changes our understanding of what that relationship ultimately looked like forever. The order of love allows for us as husbands to love our wives as Jesus loves the church. I was thinking through how our culture teaches us to be spouses and, and parents and, and even kids. And, you know, on occasion I'm torn uh, with the desire for my family that's been so instilled for me from my culture and, and, and everything that goes on around us. Like, I, I want the best for my kids. I, I want in the way that we take them to soccer, I, I want them to be able to enjoy things and, and to, to play sports and do all of these different things and to give them the best education that we can. And, you know, I, I desire for my family to be entertained and, and experience these amazing adventures or, or whatever we might be able to do. And um, 
ultimately, like in the flesh, I want our lives to be comfortable and, and for things to work out well and that I would be able to give great gifts to my bride. And I don't think any of those things are necessarily bad, implicitly bad, right? And, but when we allow these things to overtake the supremacy of our lives, it relegates God, God's throne in our lives as secondary to our wants and desires. And so that's where we have to be careful. It's not that what we're trying to do here as Christ-centered families is to say, we're not doing anything that the world offers anymore, not a single thing. And yet, understanding how we navigate in that world to keep Christ supreme in our families. And that's going to look different for all of us, and we're going to do different things, but having Christ as the supreme supplanted in the middle of our lives. There's this quote from Jonathan Edwards in Gentle and Lowly. I suggest you guys read it. I think you all have a copy. In chapter 10, he says, Everything that is lovely in God is in Christ, and everything that is or can be lovely in any man is in him. For he is man as well as God, and he is the holiest, meekest, most humble, in every way the most excellent man that ever was. The tie here is in the examination of his life and of his teachings. And I ask the question, is the desire in our own lives, our spouse's lives, our kids' lives, that we be holy? that we be meek, that we be humble. It's our desire from Matthew 5, that we be poor in spirit, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. Is our desire in our families that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness? Or even that we would be willing not only to be persecuted for righteousness' sake, but that we would train our children to do so as well. I think I've mentioned this before, but that's one of the hardest things that I think uh, in, in understanding the kingdom and its purposes and understanding my relationship with my family is, is understanding that what I'm training my children and my wife and myself to do in this call of discipleship is that we're willing to count the cost in such a way that we relegate our lives as nothing compared to the value and worth of knowing him and his kingdom. And that sounds great when we say it, maybe, but to know what that looks like in my child's life can be pretty overwhelming. To know that what God is calling me as a father to do is to train them up in such a way that they one day may go away and never come back in this life. And that's hard. Even the thought of that is difficult, is it not? And yet we are called to do such a thing, to train our children to do such a thing. Are we pointing our families to the reality, to that calling that Christ is central in our lives? He is the supremacy of all things in us. Or are we setting up idols in the center of our families that look like fame, popularity, cultural success, sports, fashion, shopping, relationships, comfort, control, or our own egos? This is the reality that we for those who are parents especially, are modeling, teaching, indoctrinating your kids, whether you know it or not. And if you aren't going to do it, someone else will. The action here is not to add more or do more, but to turn our affections towards him. 
to rid ourselves of the pleasures of this world as the supremacy of our lives. I'm going to give three just applications just for you to consider in your life. And uh, the first two are found in, in, in really Deuteronomy chapter 6, which I think is just such a really beautiful picture of what a family looks like. In verses 4 and following, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. There are three things that I could challenge you with today in this. It's that you make time for your family. And there's a couple of ways to think about this. One is that, that you show time and availability to your family, that you're there for them. But the second is that you actually make time to seek God together. Even if that looks like five or 10 minutes or, or 30 minutes a day, you know, one of the things that our, our family does is we really try hard to, to schedule out a time right at about 7.45 to 8 o'clock, right before bed, and we gather together and we, we do a devotion together. We read God's word, uh, we sing some songs, we pray together. There's something that's so good about seeking the Lord together as a family. But the reality is, is that it should be more than that, right? You know, one of the things that I often have seen in the church, um, I, I see it in pastors, I, I see it all across the churches that I've been a part of, is that we often tend in ministry to relegate our kids off somewhere else. And it, it's like it's time to do ministry, the kids go over here, you guys do whatever you're going to do today. And so the second thing that I, that I, that I want for you guys to know is to capture moments. So make time, capture moments. Throughout our days, as we're walking and moving and, and living, as we're seeking the Lord uh, as individuals, as husbands and wives, that we might join our kids in that. And when there's moments that there's an opportunity to teach the gospel, that we might take it. Right? We don't just relegate that five to ten minutes at the end of the day for gospel time. This is about Jesus or Sundays but that our lives look like Deuteronomy 6 where we, we write things on our doorpost we, as we walk and talk and as we go around that we talk about Jesus because that's what a Christ-centered family looks like. Jesus has to be a part of it. <laughs> so make time, capture moments. And then the third thing that I think is just something, that it's just a, a, an idea, is to celebrate milestones. So individualistically, our family, what that looks like is, is maybe when your child does get to the point of being baptized, that you celebrate that. Or when we do a baby or a dedication, we, we celebrate those moments. When your child does something for the first time that looks like denial of self, you celebrate that. Not for them, but for the benefit of the kingdom. For us as a church, some of you families may have noticed we've started giving out Bibles. When children reach a certain age, you'll get a new Bible. Because what I want and what I think we should do as the body of Christ is to give every opportunity for our kids and our families to know Jesus. So having appropriate aged material for them to know God better. 
That's why we do devotionals at Easter and, and Christmas, and we have another one coming up this Christmas that we're going to do. That we celebrate milestones in their lives, in our families' lives. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.